The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. RPGbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, and you know what really braises my Bahamut? Anyone seeking to advance a level lately? You? You? No? Yeah? These requirements are unreal. I need 20,000 experience at the level that I'm seeking to gain? How, how the hell do I get to that level? I tried taking a second class. They wanted 700 years of experience with gunpowder. Do I look like an astro elf to you? I have to spend eight years getting a PhD in Lich University to live long enough just to have the time in my afterlife to get the gun experience so I can multi-class. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> I, 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 right here, it's fine. <laughs> I desperately want you to post that on the, the subreddit recruiting hell. Please do. <laughs> Just cross post it. It'll be great. Uh, yeah, no, with me is Tyler Camstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. Good evening. All right, Tyler, what's happening? Well, tonight we're going to talk about character advancement. Now, if you've played a tabletop RPG for any lengthy amount of time, chances are you've gotten a chance to advance and improve your character. You might think, yes, every system uses experience points. I go up X experience points. I have now gained a level. Things proceed from there. But there's actually a lot of diversity in the way advancement works between RPGs. So we're going to look at both the history of D&D pathfinder some other rpgs that we talk about on the show and we're gonna compare and contrast experience systems and maybe suggest some ways that you might use these experience systems in a way that's more interesting than just i have killed a monster give me points yeah perfect and, and you say like most folks are familiar with the experience point systems i mean let's be real if the only thing you've ever played is 5e you might not know what an experience point is may have literally never came up. You're flipping through the monster manual, and it's like, ah, there's these values here. I don't know what to do with those. Fifth edition is really interesting for that. At the beginning, they really stayed on track with what Watsi had been doing, which was like monsters and traps uh, generate a particular number, and everyone present for the kill of that monster or trap, don't ask how you kill a trap, gets to share in the experience of pops out like a pinata when you, when you delete this thing. And then they said, you know... Okay, if we're trying to make this more accessible, what if we include this alternate thing, milestone leveling, where just you go up a level when the DM says you do, and then they sort of started writing all of their content to cater to that. I mean, basically every pre-written module in the past several years, minimum five years that I can think of, they're all basically just going off the expectation that you are running it as milestone leveling and they tell you here is where you should level them here is where you should level them here's where you should level them so if that's what you're coming in from 
and especially if you've only been a player and never been a DM, you probably are looking at us like we're growing a third head because we are apparently in it. I have a theory on this, but I think we're going to get to that in just a second. I suppose it probably makes sense. And, and again, I think anybody who's played these games understands it, but let's go and call it out. What do we mean by leveling? In games like Dungeons and Dragons, where characters are defined by level, among other things, your level is essentially how experienced and capable your character is. D&D classically goes from levels 1 to 20, and that has varied a bit between editions, but mostly it's 1 to 20. Other games might not have a level cap. Like, you could very easily compare it to video games. Like, World of Warcraft, you go from 1 to... What's the level cap now, these guys? I have I have no idea. What, 80, 90? 120, my dude. Boy. See? levels basically the idea is i have reached some milestone i have achieved something now i am another level higher i get some amount of things to improve my character in some fashion and i'm going to allocate those immediately upon gaining the level so it it doesn't really mesh with like real life where in improvement is slow and gradual and takes practice but it works really well in a game because you don't want to have to be like okay i i went for a 10 mile hike today and now i'm gonna like mark plus one on my hiking stat and then i'm gonna do that every time i do a 10 mile hike and it's just gonna like take forever and these, i mean similarly I, I was i was actually going for morrowind <laughs> but skyrim that too yeah, yeah also El- that. elder scrolls like yeah I, I, i'm gonna jump up and down in place here until my jumping skill reaches 100 and I can power level my strength and yada. Anyway, yada, yada. No, I'm, I'm literally going to sit here for the next 10 years making armor until I have a like <laughs> level 100 armor. You can make dragon scale armor, but I'm too weak to pick up a sword still. And we're just never going to resolve that. You know, another interesting leveling system. So if you think back to like the Diablo two days where you would harvest monsters, harvest monsters, harvest monsters, gain a level, but gaining a level really just meant here's points to spend. Except for, like, when I was in high school, this guy I knew, the way that he played Diablo was he would hoard those points until he could not get through a level at his current skill to drive his personal skill with the character as high as possible. It's kind of the equivalent of, like, Dark Souls is playing the wretch, right? And then (laughs) by then he'd have, like, 10, 15 levels of point buy available. So then he dumps those all at once, and all of a sudden it's like, I am immortal! Nothing can touch me! Like, just mowing through everything. And that's a crazy way to advance your character. Please don't ever do that. <laughs> but yeah, experience points, right? That, that's a pretty classic system. I think most most folks are familiar with it. I have this much experience, or you might say that I'm resetting to zero at every time. It doesn't matter. It's just how you track the math. You have to consistently challenge yourself. Most games work that, like, look, sure, you had to kill, like, 20 pigs in World of Warcraft to get that first level, but to get get from 100 to 101, if you're trying to grind on pigs, let's face it, that's going to take forever. So you can't do that. you got to consistently challenge yourself. In a lot of games, you do that by going to more and more advanced places. There are tougher creatures, harder enemies to fight. Uh, you know, in, in D&D, that's kind of a funny idea to me, because unless you're playing a published module, which has scheduled the fights for you, like you have a play date with a, a lich later today, and I hope you enjoy it. In, in D&D, right, your DM is the one making the decisions about how challenging every fight is going to be. And that ties into how you do pacing. It ties into how strong, you know, the, the party is and what they can handle. You know, all of this kind of comes together. So it's a little bit harder to accomplish this. Yeah. You touched on, like, advancing and then potentially subtracting experience points. And that is actually a 
very interesting and defining part of how experience works in a lot of RPGs. I'm going to put you both on the spot. I'm a level one character in fifth edition D&D. I reach a thousand experience points and I'm now level two. What happens to my experience points? As I recall, and this is an explicitly different thing from 3.x, they reset to zero. They don't. No? That's no, what I was going to uh, say. Yeah, I know. Uh, that is a surprisingly common mistake. Uh, the experience points don't reset in 5th edition. In fact, from what I've read, RPGs that advance based on like scaling experience points generally don't reset because they don't want you to have to go and do all that math again. But there are some exceptions. Uh, most recently, Pathfinder 2nd Edition actually does do what I'll call subtractive experience points, where you reach the amount of XP you need to gain a level and then reset to zero. D&D 3.5, 4th Edition, 5th Edition all do the same thing, where you gain experience points and have to reach a, an exponentially scaling number to reach the next level. So 5th Edition, it's like 1,000 experience points for level 2. 3,000 for level 3, 10,000 for level 4, something like that. It goes up and up and up, but the monsters also grant more XP on a scaling uh, scaling curve based on their CR. 3.5 used this really, really annoying and frustrating calculation where you had to put in, like, okay, here are all of my monsters in this encounter. I'm going to calculate the total CR of the encounter using a series of tables that sucked. Those were the worst tables. Uh, they so you really the, were. You got the final effective CR of the encounter, and then use that CR and another table based on the average level of the party to then figure out how much XP they got. So, like, if you wanted to figure out how much XP your party got, you had to do this series of mind-numbingly stupid calculations. And Pathfinder 1st Edition came along and said, hey, I've got an idea. What if you just had a flat numerical XP value for every monster? 4th Edition did the same thing. 5th Edition did the same thing. Works super great. Very, very easy. Whoa, whoa, okay, wait, no, wait. So you're saying in, in like the three and three, five days, mm -hmm. monsters didn't have experience point values assigned to them. They just had a CR, and yep. then you had to do... That's dumb. It yep. sure is. And I, <laughs> honestly, I, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that Pizla came along and they were like, this is dumb, let's fix it. And then Watsi said, oh, that's way better. We're just going to do that forever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, look, look, look at all of these successful Japanese RPGs that have been around for, I don't know, 20 years. People sure seem to like them. What if we did it that way? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the feedback goes back and forth. So Pathfinder 2nd Edition got a little stupid on this, in my opinion. So they... Instead of doing the like classic exponential scaling curve where you have to get like some some number to get to the next XP, they went to the every level is a thousand experience points. But in order to make that work, the amount of XP you get for fighting monsters has to scale up and down proportionally based on the challenge. So you have to go back to doing those stupid tables. And like considering how tight and solid the math is on PF2 personally i find that decision mind-numbing like it isn't as bad as it was in 3.5 but the fact that i have to pull out a calculator to figure out how much experience my characters get still makes me a little salty okay so i've only actually done one shots in pathfinder so far i haven't played a campaign in most of the published modules that are coming out are they doing experience-based leveling or are they using the other thing we haven't really talked about yet 
you know, I haven't looked deep enough to know for You've sure. You've only the... run one shots for me. So. <laughs> yeah, I've so run he... one shots. I've run the starter kit. I've like opened the first couple chapters of a couple of the published modules. But yeah, I, I haven't dug far enough into the full length campaigns to give a definite answer. Here's what I'll say about that. And, you know, I really hope that I'm not giving Paizo more credit than they deserve here. One of the benefits of doing this as a printed module is that you're going to be able to print what the CR of a room is. That's how printed modules always were in 3.5. It's like, this room, you know, it's not going to tell you, oh, it's three purple worms and an angry dragon. No, it's just going to tell you, here's the room. It's got these monsters in it. It's a CR 14, and, that, and that's it. As long as you weren't trying to, like, pull multiple rooms into the same combat, which then let me tell you about all the times that they do, <laughs> and that's going to be its whole own other episode, I think, at some point where I just rant about you know, combat is loud, and if you're in a room 20 feet away, why wouldn't you go help your friends who are literally screaming as they're being cut to death? But that's a different story. It's good advice. That's a right? solid advice. <laughs> as long as you weren't doing that, any printed module, you're going to be safe, because even in Pathfinder 2, if they go back to this insane leveling system, you still have that given to you. Where this gets really hard is if you're trying to write your own content. If you're trying to write a campaign, then you have to break out all of those tables that Tyler was talking about. Maybe if you are trying to do that from Pathfinder, maybe then instead you should borrow something back from WotC and Milestone, go. Milestone XP. Yeah, so so we'll talk about this a little bit later. We hit on it a little bit before. Uh, milestone XP is just the DM says when you level or the adventure says when you level. And honestly, that system works super well in a lot of cases. It doesn't have to be the only answer, as we will talk about further in the episode, but it is a pretty good answer to a lot of the challenges with experience systems. And so the idea here is that the campaign will generally have arcs. There are general like mini plots. And if we can get the party to go from point A to point B, solve a particular problem, there's a sense of accomplishment. Everybody feels like, you know, we achieve something because the Yeti is dead and we have the Yeti horn and that's exciting. At this point, we can say, great, take a level. Go, go ahead. And everybody feels good about that, right? You go away, you come back with an advanced level, and you start the next arc. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I mean, that's speaking from a, a lot of 3.x experience. That's honestly a thing that DMs would kind of do anyway, particularly in, in, their, in, like in personal written content in, in homebrew stuff. You would get to the end of an arc, people would be like, ah, oh, man, I'm... I'm 156 XP short of a level, and you. this is especially terrible if everyone else is ahead. We'll also get there in a minute. And so DM <laughs> says, congratulations, bonus XP for finishing the arc. Have exactly 157 XP. What a coincidence. Yeah. Dumbledore steps out of the room. It's like, ah, oh, but I... <laughs> 12 points to Wizard Door. All right. Um, <laughs> with the actual awarding of point-based stuff, you know, that sort of end of arc thing is a type of bonus you can give. There's other things I've talked before about how I would try and encourage roleplay by awarding a roleplay bonus to XP at the end. When the party isn't even, there can be some real weird stuff. So in that same Rise of the Rune Lords campaign, one of the characters, through a really bizarre set of circumstances and some really particular rolling on Rod of Wonder tables, functionally defeated a demigod by himself was that character a wizard a sorcerer was that player tyler 
No, not okay, this time. Right. <laughs> no, no. Keep, this, keep going, keep going. Sorry. This was our friend Michael. Um, and yeah, so it wasn't so much that he defeated it as he was simply present for it dying and almost sort of caused it. Um, yeah, I mean, he gained the experience for like, uh, it's like a several, a CR 18 monster, like by himself. That immediately put him two thirds of a level ahead of everyone else. Okay, so what do you do? And the short answer is, that's hard, right? In in those earlier systems where things were so finely tuned to, like, this is a challenge for this, this is a challenge for this, that became challenging. And, and other things like Raise Dead, fortunately, it no longer does this, but it used to just drop you a level in previous editions. Wow. Yeah. Yep. You, just, <laughs> yep. you come back from the dead, you lost whatever your last level you gained was, it's gone. Oh, okay, okay. This this does make sense. <laughs> For, there was a brief moment where when you said that, I thought you meant if you cast Raise Dead on the living. Oh. oh. Okay. <laughs> what you're no. saying is if somebody dies, you cast Raise Dead, you lose a level. That's fine once. I feel like that has to have a cool-off period because like, I was just in a situation where I died, and I'm probably, mm-hmm. you're going to make me go back in there. And, and in fact, for that very reason, that was the second time Tyler's amazing paladin Gilder uh, <laughs> came back from the dead. That was the time that he just retired. He's like, nah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back to my wife and my four goblin kids. <laughs> yeah. These are the adopted kids. Yes. No, good on you, by the way, slaughtering that whole family, making the right choice. Not the whole family. You kept the kids. Uh, <laughs> what a character. Uh, so we, we touched on getting experience from your DM's mercy, essentially. So let's talk about a couple other ways that you can get experience points in different systems, because again, that is another defining part of how a lot of systems work. In the oldest editions of D&D, gold was tied to directly to your experience points. If you brought home a gold piece, you got an experience point. And in very early D&D, that was very much the point of the game, was to go out, raid a dungeon for gold, bring it back, get more powerful, go out and raid a bigger dungeon. So that feedback loop, in a lot of ways, that is why being a murder hobo is a thing in D&D. Like, that early sentiment has just kind of permeated the game and never really went away. Newer people coming into the hobby are doing a really good job of breaking that concept. Even older players are frequently moving away from that, so being a murder hobo, like, still a lot of fun sometimes, but less of the, like, central focus of D&D. I I want to be clear quick. So, let's say I go and I gather 100 gold. Do I have a choice of using that for the purpose of leveling or buying stuff? Or once I get it home, I get to double spend it for XP, and then I actually get to spend the physical gold for stuff and things? That last one. The last one. Okay, yeah. so that's awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, versus, you... like, if, if you take a Dark Souls style where it's, like, you have the choice of either spending your souls on leveling up or spending your souls on stuff. Yeah, that's actually a good comparison to how a lot of RPGs work, and we'll we'll talk about that a little later. But, yeah, Souls is a great comparison if you haven't played any of those games. So you could get experience from gold in early versions of D&D. You can get story experience for, like, your DM says so, or it's written into the module, like you have helped this person, here's 100 experience points or whatever. The largest and most common source of experience points in D&D is typically combat, So, which means monsters are functionally an experience point pinata. You hit them until candy falls out, and you hope you get enough candy to level up. And that makes that makes everyone very happy to beat a monster and get candy. It also means that a lot of people don't like to talk their way out of situations because you get the problem of, hey, 
stop talking my experience points. I'd like to gain a level now. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And again, talking about the murder hobo, like, you know, ranting and raving. If you walk into a place and somebody is like mildly distrustful of you or not quite cooperative, the easiest thing for the party to say is like, you sure look like a hundred experience points to me. <laughs> right. Yes. And, yeah. And, and so this is one of the reasons why, especially in older pre-written modules, they would say, if you convince so-and-so to let you pass without combat, award XP as if you had defeated them in combat. Buried deep in the DMG where no one would ever read it was, <laughs> if you defeat any encounter, regardless of how you defeat it, as long as it is no longer a challenge to you, you get the XP for it. That can be, I chop it into bits. Or it can be, I convince it to be my friend. Or it can be, you know, I turn it into a tree and now it's growing shadefully. Don't ask. It's an, ad an adverb. There we go. I, I confuse it. I confuse exactly. the bridge troll and it flies away. So one more source of XP and then we'll move on. Random did this in his Rise of Rune Lords campaign and we've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, awarding experience at the end of the session for good role playing. If I remember right, random, the way we handled that was at the end of the session, we would all vote on who had the most interesting role playing that session. For me personally, that was actually a really helpful growing tool as a role player because it encouraged me to focus more on playing my character as a character rather than, you know, being that murder hobo, uh, you know, kill those monsters, get that gold, bring it home, adopt goblin children. Even even that small, like, <laughs> end of session, here's a tiny bit of XP for being cool. Like, it didn't have to be a huge number, but just that, that carrot at the end of the session was a really good motivator to push ourselves to be better players. That in itself is actually a really good example of using the advancement system as a way to encourage good behavior and good role play in the game. I do think, though, it's also really rewarding to have the other folks at the table be proud of you and think that you did a good job. That's more valuable than actually getting, you know, some some little bit of XP that, you know, sure, you're going to use in a little bit. I think we've talked about in the past. And I want to bring it up again because it's such a good idea. Telling your table every session you have the right to give away one inspiration or one meta currency if you think somebody's just done a great job RPing. And this seems like a even better version of that of like, you know, you might even get to a level a little bit earlier than other folks because you're doing such a good job role playing. Yeah, that, that was entirely the point, right? You know, meta currency didn't really exist in Pathfinder 1 in a way that was usable. One of the other things that I had people do is I, I it wasn't just you know, saying vote. But I would require them to explain why are you awarding this person with your vote for the day? And you know, it was I only wanted a sentence out of them, but it got them thinking, and that meant that, like Tyler was saying, it got it got people thinking throughout the whole session about how they were playing, and then had people think about it again at the end, which was really the point of why I did it. It worked. Thanks. <laughs> so I think we have a few other like advancing systems that we want to talk through. And then let's kind of come back and talk about them all together. You have the classic level-based experience, which is, you know, the D&D model. You gain points, eventually you hit a level. In addition to that, a, a lot of RPGs that don't have a level system, so Fantasy Flight, Star Wars, Shadowrun, uh, Call of Cthulhu, lots of Mork other... Morkborg? Morkborg. They don't have 
a level system. Like you can't look at a character and say, I am a level X, Y, wizard, whatever. You you essentially have a progressing quantity of experience points that your character has gained over time. And that gives you a rough estimate of how long you've been playing that character, but not necessarily how good they are in the fight. Because in a lot of RPGs where like crawling a dungeon isn't a central theme of the game, your amount of experience might not indicate some massive combat ability. Like Fantasy Flight Star Wars, C-3PO is a mountain of experience points, and he can't use a gun. He, it, do we call C-3PO he? They? That's a good question. I mean, C-3PO is voiced by Anthony Daniels, so since we're talking about in the real world, I would probably use he. Yeah, okay. Let's go with he. All right. So but, C- but they works. <laughs> C-3PO survives nine movies. In this case, it is also. <clears throat> sure. It. C-3PO survives nine movies. Yeah, accumulating conversations about sentience. <laughs> yes. Um, accumulates all of this experience. Occasionally gets his memory wiped and gets reset to zero. But, you know, other than that, lots of experience points. Can't fight in any meaningful way. Ton of social skills. Kind of. Terrible manners. Bad, bad protocol droid. Anyway, so games where like the level-based capability progression aren't there offer a lot of flexibility, and like that tells you on its own a lot about the game. Because again, that idea of crawling dungeons, getting loot, and then crawling more dangerous dungeons doesn't really exist in most RPGs. And I feel like I've lost the thread here of what I was going to say next. But um, my point was... You gain experience points in these RPGs, and then instead of gaining a level, those experience points become a currency, and you use that currency to advance your character. Randall, like you were saying about your friend who played Diablo 2 and would hoard those advancement points, you can essentially do that in these RPGs. You might get to a point where you can advance your character and have like some mountain of points that maybe you've been saving up for something cool, or maybe you just haven't decided what you want to do with them yet and just sit on them for a while. But you can spend those points in whatever way the game allows. Maybe you diversify your capabilities. Maybe you get really good at one thing, like Shadowrun. You, I might be mixing up 5th and 6th edition, but like you can buy specializations and skills. So you'd be like, I'm already really good at guns. What if I was even better just at pistol? Pew, pew, pew. Pistols. Pew, pew. <laughs> Fantasy Flight Star Wars, you can spend experience points to buy new skill trees. The character capabilities are... There's skills, there's essentially ability scores, and then there are uh, talent trees that they give you specific benefits based on the talent. They get more expensive the further you down you go on the tree. Opening up new trees costs experience points. Opening up trees from different classes costs more experience points. So, like, there is motivation to spend that currency very wisely and sometimes hoarding it for a little while until you're ready to open up a new tree is a good idea because it's so expensive. Well, and especially giving yourself a a second to figure out what's really going to be useful to me, what's really going to be useful to my party. Um, You might get to a point where like, okay, we have collectively enough experience to start actually specializing, but what are we really needing? Are we needing healing on a regular basis? You know, are we fighting a lot of undead and so we need to go down this path? Do I need lasers for eyeballs? If so, that's a choice that I'm going to need to make. Preferably, I'm going to be anti-undead, pro-lasers for eyeballs, but that's a... (laughs) So we should also talk about when advancement occurs, because that is another... That's another thing that people get kind of hung up on in a lot of RPGs, because 
advancing your character in the middle of your character doing something is really confusing. If you end a session on a cliffhanger, like you're about to walk in and fight the boss, or like you're about to go talk to the boss or talk to your boss, or I, I, maybe you're playing like uh, accountants and alliteration and <laughs> your next encounter is to go ask your boss for a raise. I see the face palms. I see them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your next encounter is to go talk to your boss about a raise and the session ends and you're like, okay, I've got all these experience points. I really want this raise between sessions. I'm going to go spend my experience points and up my persuasion skills so that I can really do a good job asking for that raise. I think in, in accountants and alliterations, it's called negotiating. But anyway, keep keep going. Perfect. Uh, so I think that was a yes or. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> So when advancement occurs is frequently overlooked in RPGs. Like it's um, in a lot of games, it's just never explained. Like you get experience or whatever, whatever the experience equivalent is called at some given point, like um, Shadowrun calls it karma. Famously, uh, a lot of games do just call it experience points, but it's, it's the same thing. So yeah, I remember in, in like all the Elder Scrolls games, you have to take a nap. Uh, which is yes. really frustrating because you also have to take a nap in a safe place because you can't, typically can't sleep if somebody's stabbing you. That's my experience, at least. <laughs> Wonderfully frustrating, right? Because you're like, I need to level up right now. I am so sleepy. On the other side of this door, there is a rat trying to choose through it. <laughs> Going to bed. <laughs> yes. and I've talked about this before on the on the Variant Rules episode where I, I would require my players to spend time in a city training and you know that that's one of the 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 called out variants like you have to you train to get your level now i i tried to make this easier on them particularly when they were just utterly buried in a dungeon crawl for a couple levels i would give people the numerical bonuses of their level and not the class features until they got home to train uh this was again much a a much bigger deal in in 3.x so like you would get your hit points you would get your base attack bonus your save bumps you don't gain your next spell slot until you can go train it. You don't gain your sneak attack until you can go practice stabbing peasants or something. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. What? Wait. What? What, no, what do you think sneak attack is for? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah, I do think this is this is a wonderful topic to talk about in a session zero with folks. Because some folks would really welcome that. And I think we've talked about in this past the idea, for instance, if you're a warlock, uh, maybe you need to talk to your patron and maybe there needs to be something that you need to do prior to taking advancement. If you're a wizard, maybe like you need to let your DM like, hey, I really would love to pick up these spells so they can sneak in like, oh, you find a sheet out of a spell book. It's just sitting here. It's the one you've been looking for. Look at this. You know, <laughs> if that's what people would really relish, like they welcome that, they think it's a wonderful part of storytelling, build it in and like make it happen for your players because that's going to be an awesome experience. If everybody collectively is like, Nah, I'm going to go to sleep in a snowdrift, and I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to be like, guys, figured it out. Fireball. Let's go. <laughs> that could be fun, too. Suspiciously specific. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, yeah, and comparing it to the leveling mechanics in the Elder Scrolls games is actually a really good comparison, because take, taking a long rest in games like 5th edition D&D is a really, really good time to handle leveling. Generally, your players will be at least somewhere relatively safe, somewhere that they can train, like Random suggested. 
somewhere far away from monsters so there aren't giant giant rats chewing down the door that's never explicitly called out in fifth edition pathfinder because they want to give you that flexibility of like if you're playing a mega dungeon or something where there is nowhere safe you're gonna have to level up in this 10 by 10 room that your players have boarded up the door to keep monsters from chewing through the door while they're sleeping Um, the rats the rats exactly and hey super out of place and useless suggestion but in oblivion you can beat the entire game at level three if you figure out when to take levels two and three and then you can just power level all your skills to 100 and beat the game very easily off topic anyway (laughs) i'm I'm, I'm into it i'm just trying to think about how that actually would manifest but uh basically you you only need sleep to trigger the dark brotherhood quests oh yeah that's right. And uh, you still benefit from having the skills leveled up really high, but the difficulty in the game increases based on your character's level, not based on your skills. So you can have yeah. all your skills at 100 and just walk through the entire game. The difficulty in that game does not make any sense. Uh, yeah, okay. That makes good sense. Somebody <laughs> goofed. Anyway, so games that do advancement timing really explicitly, The One Ring is a really, really great example of how to handle this. Uh, the One Ring has this this uh, segment of the game called the Fellowship Phase. So you go out on your adventuring phase, you journey somewhere, stuff happens, you come back, and then you have the Fellowship Phase, which is functionally downtime. And while you're out on the adventure phase, you're accumulating experience points. That's uh, skill points and action points, I believe. It might be adventure points. I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Anyway, so you accumulate those two different pools of experience points, come back to town, have your fellowship phase, and you have that downtime, and that's probably an actual game session where you're doing downtime, talking to your party patron, doing other stuff, maybe exchanging gear, all those things, and you spend your points to advance your character. So one ring never puts you in a situation where, like, I, the lore master in one ring, I, the lore master, have built this precision-engineered adventure for my players to go on all of these encounters are built perfectly to challenge them but not murder them there's cool stuff that happens they meet cool people things happen what do you mean they all leveled up and now none of that math works anymore so one ring will never put you in that situation because you have to go all the way back to town and like have a break between adventures to advance and uh like random suggestion and the dmg variant for going back to town and training and stuff it works just fine in any RPG. Just say, hey, you don't get to spend points until this plot arc is over, and you go home and say, wow, we saw some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that sure was a lot. <laughs> awesome. So we've talked about a few different ideas for how to think about experience. We've talked about several systems worth of what it means to like level up or advance a particular character, whether that be something class-based where you're moving in a particular class, whether it be more of a point spend and I'm spending points to you know buy this feat, buy that feat, unlock this feat tree, th- this sort of thing. Let's take it back and let's talk about how we can apply these things in any game that we're playing, as long as we're not breaking the rules or kind of breaking the game, and the offers that we can make to our players. So most of us are familiar uh, with milestone leveling. We talked about it. Most of 5e's content is going that direction. We can use it. And honestly, I think that that's a fantastic base. But sometimes it might make sense to say, okay, look, we're going to go on a huge dungeon crawl. Like the next, the next arc in this story, the next arc in my homebrew, we're literally going to spend like a month in this dungeon. It could be fun to talk to your players and say, what do you folks think about? I know we've been doing milestone level advancement. 
what do you think of doing monster experience for this dungeon? There's going to be opportunities where you can make choices where like, this hall sounds really quiet. This hall is really loud and the orcs sound mad. Make your choices. At that point, you're, you're incentivizing the murder hoboism, which can be fun for a period of time. You're letting them know like, you know, cut loose, you know, go ahead, like burn some skills. It's going to be great with the understanding that once you escape that dungeon, you'll go back to civilized society where you can't murder the barkeep because he doesn't have the particular beer that you enjoy or he had the, you know, he tried to charge you two silver and you're used to paying one silver. Yeah, that's really interesting. I That really touches the same heartstring of, of the reason that I in, instrumented that or implemented that, uh, that bonus XP in the first place is using character progression as mechanic beyond just you know, what the, the game says. I, I guess using it as a tool instead of just a mechanic is probably the better way of saying that. I really like that because I've never really enjoyed milestone leveling. DMs have a lot going on, and if you're playing a pre-written module, that's great that, like, you know, they, they have it written in there roughly when you should be leveling. But let's be real here. No party has ever exactly followed a plot line the, the way it was presented. Literally ever. I challenge you. Present me with that. And that's fine. That's the good storytelling. But it means that there's going to be times when things more, you know, maybe don't make sense. Like the the Out of the Abyss that I'm running where we just abandoned, teleported, or murdered a bunch of the plot hooks. And we gained two levels in not back-to-back sessions, but session level no level again because we were just advancing that fast and that feels goofy and no shade to my dm for that they're doing a great job that's just what do you do when the players skip all the story and the story is how you're supposed to give them this stuff so that's where it becomes really important to maybe slow down like grandal was talking about maybe give them like all right we're gonna do monster xp for this session maybe give them checklists you know maybe give them like all right Especially if you are running something more sandboxy like Fandelver, you've got like 10 goals. You're going to gain a level when you complete two of them and just have that be a thing. And actually, you bring that up. So we're playing Rhyme of the Frostmaiden now. Our DM hasn't explicitly said this, but I think he's heavily implied that actually some of their milestone leveling early in the adventure are exactly that. Like there are, um, I don't know if this will surprise you, there are 10 towns. In ten towns. Oh wow! Right, and I I think one of the levels was like you had to visit so many of them, or you had to solve like a side quest in so many of the ten towns before you took a level. At least it was implied that it was that way, and it was great, right? Because you're not on, you know, you're not on a railroad. You know, you're not literally being driven from point A to point B. It feels very sandboxy, and yet it feels like it could be normal now the counter to that which he also warned us about repeatedly is you know hey you guys did great in that combat we just had with you being at level four if you were unlucky you would have hit this at level one and that's that's debilitating (laughs) and so towards your point of like we burned through uh you know through through our wily ways we were able to burn through like you know one two three little mini arcs and now we've leveled twice in three sessions The problem is if you don't take those levels, the next group of monsters you run into, because that's what the campaign book says you're supposed to face, what's going to happen? Absolutely. And there's no good answer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, as as a DM, it's like the whole reason I bought this book was so I didn't have to think about building these things. (laughs) It's like, I'm, you're going to fight. 
two and a half demons i don't <laughs> well, well that's where your players need to know to run away like if you're going to play a sandbox game in your session zero you can just tell your players hey uh the encounters are not leveled to your capabilities we're going the morrowind method not the skyrim method like the world is there good luck uh, as opposed to skyrim where it's like ah uh yes all of the at least boss fights are scaled to your difficulty or something but you're still going to get that one insane bandit who charges you in the middle of the road for no apparent reason you halt who goes yeah i <laughs> i i do i really like the idea of that and i think again like we're talking about the social fixes this is again something in a session zero and then i think repeatedly like pointing out you will have encounters that are too hard and then encouraging maybe a role for checking like, oh, you know, there is literally a giant coming towards you. It's a frost giant. Roll for knows things about frost giants. Somebody please, <laughs> you know, or, you know, okay, right. That's lame. And we always talk about how lame that is. Instead, maybe it needs to be, it's like passive perception of 16. That's good enough. Uh, you notice that it rips a sequoia out of the ground and puts it over its shoulder and begins to carry it away the other way. Do you want to engage? Hang on. Let me Google how big a Sequoia is first. Yeah. Oh, it's enormous. Uh, to, to be clear, not I the run. Toyota, the tree. Oh, <laughs> well, where did it find a Sequoia growing a Toyota Sequoia growing in the ground? Yeah, it was very well rooted anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think there have to be the cues to, to let folks know, like you have to get out of there. But yeah, rolling it back, I, I have one... Okay, so w- what did we just say? We said you can mix and match Milestone with experience in your homebrew, and in fact, that might be a way to sometimes engage your inner murder hobo, and then sometimes the Milestone advancement, and using things like the story advancement or bonus XP for RP can be the way that you drive the table to more RP. And so in this way, instead of just using meta currency, we can actually use the leveling system itself as a mechanic to drive our players to play the game that they talk about wanting to play. You know, in your session zero and when you occasionally do your retros, they're like, you know, I really loved it when we did that RP session. Okay, great. This is one more tool in your toolbox to drive that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pitch one more crazy idea. Talking about the a la carte, the point-based systems, where essentially what you're doing is you're gaining a pool of experience to then burn on feats. We know... You know, 5e gives you the optional of I can turn my ASIs into instead taking feats, right? That That is an optional. I'm not crazy. Correct. What would you say to allowing feats more often or maybe having like a, a bonus pool of experience explicitly to add feats? So we're breaking the leveling system. Let's, let's first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm torturing it at this point, <laughs> but granting an additional feat in lieu i guess what would you do it instead of though that's the hard part so, so l- l- let me let me try and take some of this and i and i think rein you in a bit based on some things that i, I have i want to break the work. game that's all right <laughs> well so first off that's kind of what happens when you hit epic level anyway by the time this episode comes out tyler's recent episode or tyler's recent article on epic boons will have been out for a few weeks and so go read that it's really good but basically you know at level 20 in D, when you make it to the end they say you did it and you get some more asis you know if if you would keep going that is one way that you can handle it you would have to be really explicit with this in your session zero i think to get buy-in from people because you'd want to say like if you if we do like a like a, a vote system that i had like at the end of every session you you know vote on it if you get 10 you did the best role plays 
you get a feat or something. That could certainly be a way. I wouldn't call that great. Uh, realistically, what... No, I, yes. I got it. I think you have inspired me, and I have it now. Okay. There are lots of feats which are, are explicitly not combat feats, right? And sometimes we look at these things and we're like, why, why even bother? A good example, Pathfinder 2, we talked about the opportunity cost of advancing lore skills, either moving them up a notch or taking additional lores are, are way too expensive. So maybe that's a perfect example where let's do something like that, and when you advance your RP tree, we're going to let you take more RP feats like in Pathfinder 2, your lore skills, or we're going to let you advance them so that you effectively have like your own RP track. And I think well, we could probably do this in 5e as well. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that this is very much what Randall's table would look like. There's other options, right? You know, you can you can do things like items. And this was actually um, this long-running Strahd campaign that I talk about a lot. Barovia is a pretty low magic setting because it's not like there's traders coming in and out very much. Technically, the, the Vistani can sort of come and go, but it's not like they're going to help you a lot. You know, what do you do about, like, help? I, I want to gain magic weapons because, oh, God, these things have resistance to BPS if it's not magical, right? And so, you know, maybe that's like, oh, man, you you roleplayed really well. You did a session, you know, like, you made yourself weaker somehow for a session by this roleplay. And so... Congratulations! You're digging around in the basement and you find Druid Mjolnir. Or, you know, maybe that's like... Okay, I'm actually going to steal a very explicit example from that game. Uh, Our Druid, uh, at one point, uh, and I hate this, and Tyler, I'm sorry. Um, Our Druid, at one point, we... So we killed a large dire spider, like... Gross. Large-sized, like, horse spider, as part of... um, clearing this uh, like haunted ruin and her persistent ability to talk to animals well, triggered and she heard like a lot of hungry voices well then she was suddenly wearing a cape made of spiders for the rest of the campaign tell her you, you can turn off your headphones you can take off your headphones. I, it's fine and she did that intentionally and yeah she why she, would you choose that? She put on a cape made of spiders, and she wore that cape made of spiders, and like it gave her, um, it gave her bonus AC and poison damage when she wild shaped because she was a, a circle of the moon druid. Wait, she took poison damage, or she could give poison damage? Like her, her claws would do poison damage. Like imagine Brilliant. if I turned into a bear that was covered in spiders. Exactly. No, I hate saying that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. That, that uh, would make bear scarier, so that's good. It sure would. Spy yeah. bear. Um like, <laughs> in, in this sort of way, like you can you can honor the good roleplay like that. So you know the, the good roleplay of like, oh I want to save these animals. Oh, they're spiders. I'll save them anyway. Spiders are people too. No. Uh well, only driders, and we don't want them anyway. <laughs> there are different there are definitely ways you can go with that that are not just like straight feats or straight skill bumps. You can give, and you know, like, sure, that was actual combat power, but you could very definitely try and tailor something to be less combat power like that. That was the the makeup for there not being a whole lot of magic items or availability of things. But, you know, if you wanted to make it like, um, oh, yeah, you know, let's let's say at session zero, write me up like three low-level magic items that your characters wants, you know, like armor of uh shininess whatever it is i forget what it's actually called <laughs> all right like a like a like a, a hat of disguise like you know things that provide cool utility but not a lot of combat power and just like you know so you, you did some good role play today here's your hat 
you can also offer let's say if you're going to reward good roleplay it might also be helpful to offer your players specific goals for their characters let's imagine a system where you give your players a list of goals based on their character like i am a wizard so I, one of my role-playing goals is i need to find the spellbook of a famous wizard and learn from it so like cool stuff like that and you can lay out a list for your players and say like once you get through some number of these you'll get this cool boon like maybe you use one of the epic boons maybe it's a magic item maybe it's a feat something like that uh if you want to make that idea extra spicy, make a bingo card. And this is going to sound a little ridiculous, but you got your 5x5 five five grid. Each space is a goal. The middle goal is kill a monster, so that's essentially a free space. And if they fill up a line on the bingo card, you get something neat. And then you have a bingo card to carry around with your character sheet, and who doesn't want that? Real quick, I'm going to touch us on a system that you don't have to imagine that. You are literally given goals by your game master. It's alien. Oh. So, yeah. In So I, I've talked about how there's there's two versions of play, right? There's um, a cinematic and campaign play. In the cinematic play that's meant to be more like one of the movies, it's literally split into three acts, like a movie, and in each act, your characters, which are pre-written, have individual agendas and the way that you get xp the primary way that you get xp in fact although it's not called xp for the 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 cinematic play it's called story points um which you can use to like automatically succeed even after you've already failed a role that sort of thing you get that by playing to your agenda at personal risk if you want a good example of that go read the alien stuff read my review of it when it comes out soon i'm working on it play testing is hard yeah, like th- that's a really good way to look at an advancement system that is explicitly not about any of those things. Like it, 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 you know, in the campaign play, it is sort of like an accumulate points and spend them for talents. But the way that you get it is very much more just no, no, it's just role play. Just be good at role play. That's how you do it. And, and I will say, so we talk about from time to time, like the idea of the traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. I think that's something else that you could bring into this. Where if you're gonna make that checkerboard or even if you're not going to make that checkerboard, any time you manifest all four of those things through a session, you've probably done a fantastic job role-playing, especially if it is at personal risk or risk to the party, Um, or if you're a rogue, risk to the party, but not personal risk. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) All right, we have a question of the week this week. Uh, The question of the week this week allegedly comes from Linny in Germany. Uh, Linny is allegedly in Germany, and we'll deal with that later. Linny, over email. Great to hear from you, buddy. How do you use environment in your D&D combats, and what tips and recommendation can you give to make combat more interesting with use of the environment? That's a great question. So it's very easy to overlook terrain when you're planning combat in RPGs. So D&D especially, it's very easy to say, this room is 20 feet by 20 feet. The ceilings are 10 feet high. The room is otherwise featureless, but there are monsters in it. Go get them. Don't do that. That's boring. Um, Put some stuff in there. Uh, Furniture to hide behind. Tables to flip. Chandeliers to swing from. Difficult terrain because the part of the ceiling collapsed. Uh, Stuff to take cover behind. Think of it like putting a frog in a terrarium. If you give your frog just an empty box, your frog is sad. If you put, like, leaves and twigs in a pool of water and cool stuff to simulate their natural environment, happy frog. 
I don't know how to have have a frog. Don't take pet advice from me. <laughs> are, the, are the players the frog in this case? Or are the monsters the frog? Or, or, or yes. are we the frogs? Let's say players are the crickets. Players are the... Wait, what? No. No, that's terrible. <laughs> anyway. Morgue, feed your players to monsters. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Put stuff in the terrain. The 5th edition rules for balancing encounters specifically have guidelines for like if the enemies in the encounter have an advantage you treat it as a more difficult encounter so like if you walk into a room and you have that featureless void of a 20 by 20 room then like that is just base normal xp calculation if players walk into a room and there's a bunch of uh let's say hobgoblins on the landing above us uh something about the covenant on the landing above us uh the hobgoblins are up above you shooting at you with bows. They have an advantage, so that encounter is more difficult, and 5e's encounter rules account for that. And then conversely, if the players have an advantage. And as a reminder, when Tyler says advantage, he literally means advantage. This is one of those things that's not often brought into play, but a way that you are explicitly granted advantage is if you are making a range attack from height on someone, you have mechanically advantage on that attack roll. You know, you could also say an advantage in a room might be there is a gap, like a, a chasm between uh, characters with ranged attacks and the players, right? That is an advantage. But like in, in the case that he was talking about, that's literal mechanical advantage. So that's one thing. Oh, I want to put you on the spot real quick. Would a ranged spell attack also gain advantage in that situation? Do you know? Yes, absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. All right, keep going. So that's one thing. Tyler also did a really interesting job on trying to... Uh, focus on frogs, like, uh, well, that too. But actually, it's my apartment we're not, that's focusing we're not on frogs. That. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Italian did a really interesting job writing articles about like how to use terrain in the Doom style combat, which um, you should definitely check out. That's a fascinating take on combat, like he was talking about. And, and this is <clears throat> this is another thing. So, like, we, we talked about, you know, if you have advantage or if you have elevation, range attacks have advantage. But there's also all kinds of other things, like, you know, like he described chandeliers to swing off of. Absolutely. If if your bard describes, man, I'm, I'm going to take bonus action, acrobatics, like, do a neat flip off the wall and rapier down at the top of somebody's head as I pirouette over them. That's dope. Give him advantage, right? Now, we talked about this way back in Metacurrency, where, like, there's only so many times you can play out the same shtick. But the more you fill a room, the more you're going to be able to let people be creative. If you talk to, who do we, I have forgotten his name and I feel terrible about it, but the guy who wrote The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Keith um, Thank you. We talked to him and, you know, a lot of monsters of at least roughly human average intelligence will do that sort of thing. Cover provides AC and and uh, deck save bonuses, and that's huge. If you have someone hiding behind a table because they can, and then popping out to shoot you with arrows and then popping back, they're real hard to hit. Maybe they're impossible to hit. Maybe they effectively have full cover, which means you can't see them. There are ways that you can play this, and you know if you think about it cinematically, you're very rarely going to see things of human-ish intelligence just ah yes we're gonna british square you and hope we kill you first (laughs) that's a terrible strategy sorry to the brits 250 years ago i guess yeah Um, hundreds of years of military combat yeah (laughs) right think about it no you you see people like pop up from behind cover shoot a few shots pop back behind cover and that's just like 
people think to do that just sort of instinctively give them the tools to do that because as a dm do that and i i know that it's a lot to remember with everything else you have going on and tracking initiative hp all that jazz but if you remember if you just stop and think what does this look like what does this actually look like that's happening and think about it compare it to other media that you've seen movies books that you've read and think how do i make it more like that that's going to make it feel more realistic and use that environment to your advantage i i think definitely like all of that is fantastic advice i really want to highlight the idea of encouraging folks to use the hide and take cover mechanics uh in in whatever game you may be playing and i think it could even be worth if, if this is something you want to get into your game just having an open conversation like hey does everybody understand how this works maybe before the session hop in like really read through it let's get together let's talk about it because one of the things that can happen for instance talk about the situation where the 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 bad guy is popping up getting a few shots off and then going back behind cover you're powerless because they're always behind cover you can't do anything about it except you can you can say i'm going to hold this as a reaction and when that person pops up I'm going to go after them. Well, now how somebody is thinking about structuring their turn is going to be a lot, I, I think, A, different than typical combat, and B, very interesting in what they think and what they're willing to risk. Because keep in mind, in 5B, I'm pretty sure if this is true, Pathfinder, I'm not sure. If I declare I'm going to use a spell as a reaction, I'm holding that spell. If the reaction never triggers, I lose the spell, right? Correct. Yeah, and there, there's that's very punishing. So a yeah, cantrips, <laughs> right? Um, holding cantrips. You could also make it so that, um, and a, a thing that I've seen um, is basically, if if it makes it back to your turn, make a concentration save. A concentration, like basically, I like that. okay. If you pass it, you get to keep holding it. Oh, that's and, much better. Yeah, but you burn your you burn your tenant turn again, so there's still some opportunity cost, but you at least don't lose the spell slot for nothing. Exactly. Perfect. That makes great sense. And and so even like this is interesting, right? I think. Planning a reaction because, like, I'm going to take this person and, like, you know, you're calling out in a language only your person knows, like, you know, I'm going to pop the one on the left. And hopefully on the other side, they don't know whether you meant your left or their left. They're very confused. Uh, Stage left? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, you know, theater in the round. I really, I, I really think the hide mechanics are something that I would like to experiment with more. The, the negative, I think, is that this could potentially slow combat down, but I think occasionally, Putting the party in a situation like this would be a lot of fun. Everybody's really going to enjoy the fight, especially if this is one of the big fights. And then maybe the rest of the time, maybe maybe there aren't so many more tables to flip. What I want to add, I want to remind you that I think uh, maybe not a wormling, but at least an adult dragon has a burrow speed. <laughs> some and, and so some I, of them, not all some, of them. Cert okay, certain colors of dragons. Okay, per perfect. And, and so I think the idea that there are, I mean, and more than just dragons actually have burrow speeds, the fact that something can literally disappear into the ground and then come back and haunt you, like, I think that could be a fun, long-running fight. Uh, we, you know, we did an episode way back on travel, like, how do folks get from point A to point B, and how do you make that interesting? Imagine if occasionally an adult dragon kind of pops up and messes with your high-level characters, and then as soon as it hits, like, a third XP... A third XP, uh, a third health is like, ah, I'm out. I'll see you next session. Like that could be a little torturous, but I think also a little fun. And even if that creature chose to fight to the death, that creature popping in and out of combat between turns, I think could be very exciting. I'm going to propose kind of a thought exercise. So if you're struggling to come up with how to 
populate your encounter map, like where to put things. Stop what you're doing right now, unless you're driving a car. Continue driving that car. Look around at the room you're in. That's your encounter map. Like, what is in that room? If you don't like that one, go find a different room. Maybe go outside and find a nice park. Those make great encounter maps. Like, there's trees in the way. There's benches to use as cover. There's, like, shrubberies that could be difficult to rain. Like, you could just be like, uh, that's no longer shrubberies. That's gravel. That's not a tree. That's a cool obelisk. Yeah, dress it up. You could even reuse the same park and just, like, invert the map, and nobody will ever notice the difference. But, yeah, just steal encounter maps from real life. It's super easy. I'm now tempted to start talking about digital elevation maps and geotiffs. Uh, so depending on where you live, you might actually literally be able to find like a a 3D map of that park that he's describing. And you could just use that. It'd be a great terrain map. Mm-hmm. But I digress. digress. I digest sometimes. <laughs> I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campstell. You'll find me at RPGBot.net. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET and Patreon.com slash RPGBot. And I'm Random Pell. You'll find me frustratedly calculating CR tables. Uh, but mostly I'm here on RPGBot.net contributing, of course, to the podcast and also some articles. And in places where people play games, I am frequently there as Harlequin or Harlequin. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. Hail. Hail. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find early access to RPGBot.content, content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You can find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. Welcome to the RPGBot.shenanigans. shenanigans. <laughs> Perfect. You know, we should just we should just call this that. I'm not ready. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs>